Kilishuateka Kiviti Hashem. We want Mashiach now. Hakadosh Baruchu. May you hear our voice as we cry out to you. Just want to go over some different gleanings from my notes. I've been trying to figure out as I've been doing these podcasts, what is the best structure to get through all of these sources? And the answer is, I don't know. So I'm just going to let them fly. So here we go. First thing I want to talk about is a conversation between myself and Dr. Sakal. He sent this over to me. He said, Hashem prescribed for the world a system where everything we do is of monumental importance. Each action, even the smallest one, has immense significance. As discussed in Nefesh Hachaim, we build and destroy worlds with our thoughts, words, and actions. Our lives are thus invested with meaning at every moment of every day. And I was telling him that it's interesting when you study the the wisdom of the number 50 from the Jewish wisdom and the numbers that it all has to do with the 50 gates of wisdom that we're bringing down as we're ascending through them uh, as we count the Omer. And Omer is actually the same word as Amar, which means to say. And Omer is spelled with an Ayin, Memresh, and Amar is spelled with Aleph Memresh. The Ayin and the Aleph are actually interchangeable. And if you remember the skin that we used to have before we ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil was skin of ore with an Aleph as opposed to the skin that we have now, which is called ore, except this with an Ayin. So literally through binding up our words, we can actually bind up the the speech and the the saying that we're supposed to have as we're ascending through these gates and what we're actually doing as we're counting these seven weeks we're bringing down those seven sefirot the chesed the gevura the teferit the netzach the hod yesod malkut like we're bringing all that down and that's the descent of the shekinah should be merited into creation so that by the end of malkut will be in the 49th day, and then when Shavuot happens, that'll be the 50th day, which means the 50th gate is unlocked. And that's all being done with our speech. And so I was joking with him because I heard on one of these uh, videos I watched a long time ago, it was called uh, Portal Combat. And it was a satire being done on a... Avengers Infinity War review that the whole scene where Doctor Strange is allowing Spider-Man to jump from portal to portal and fight Thanos that was called Portal Combat and I was just like well the crazy part about that is literally counting the Omer is Portal Combat because we're either building up or we're tearing down because the the word for Bina which are the 50 gates of understanding they're literally called 50 gates of Bina that Bina comes from the word Binyan, which means to build. So literally we're building up each of these Sephirot so that there's a channel, there's a path for the Shekinah to descend down into the lower worlds, 
we're supposed to be making this place a home for Hashem, you know, and so it's just kind of like, okay, so what are we binding up and how are we speaking about it? And so I sent back to him that information and then I added on Ephesians 4.29, which says, let no harmful word come out of your mouth, but only what is beneficial for building up others uh, building others up according to the need so that it gives grace to those who hear it. In other words, edifying words, right? So that's something. And I just thought it was very interesting that, you know, during this time, as we're looking at the parasha, what are we doing with our speech and what are we actually binding up? Are we binding up edification, life, building uh, home for God, or are we binding up destruction and damage and uh, just tearing stuff up in the heavenlies? So that was one of the first things that I wanted to speak of. And uh, when you look up the definition of Omer, uh, it literally says to bind sheaves, to make merchandise of, literally to heap up or to chastise as if pi- or piling blows. And it says to, to gather grain. So obviously when Yosef in Parsha Vayeshev talks to his brothers about the dream he has, that we were all in the field binding sheaves and your sheaves bowed down to mine. Well, the word Omer is what those sheaves are. So that was the first thing I wanted to talk about. So what are we doing with our words? What are we doing with our speech? And again, I've been harping on this. And, uh, you know, it's been wonderful just to know that the power of redemption is in our mouth. And even more than what we could do is what we say. So I brought this down, sourceless hatred, uh, in the previous podcast called Lashon Tova of the Tazria Mazur RPM. But I want to read it to you now. The Art Scroll Yeshiyahu, the Art Scroll Isaiah, because when you look at what Messiah read when he went to the synagogue and he read from the Haftarah portion, he read the first couple of verses of Isaiah 61. And then he rolled the scroll back up and then, you know, went on from there. Well, the thing is, is, this is a source that's used for saying the redemption comes in stages. Like that's the first part. So the first part is going to be that, you know, you're going to bring tidings to the humbled, you know, you're going to bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim freedom for the captives, proclaim to the imprisoned release from bondage, proclaim the year of favor unto Hashem and the day of vengeance you know, for our God to comfort all mourners. And then it was just kind of like, all right, so let's stop right there for a second. Well, if you look at the commentary on this, the the part that we're waiting on finishing, this is the, the final redemption, which, by the way, begins even before Messiah returns. Because the idea of thinking, let's just let the world go to a waste and Messiah can return to whatever's left of it, Okay, that's that's called uh, poor stewardship. <laughs> Just like, all right, Yeshua, you can have whatever's left of the world. You know, here's all the nukes and here's all the not proselytes. Have at it. 
we we were so faithful to your words and it's just like it's not what we were called to do you know and to say well it's in revelation well there's a reason revelation wasn't put into the tanakh there's a reason why we were given a tanakh and we were not told to focus on revelation but we were told to focus on the tanakh we're told to focus on the torah and the prophets Messiah, even in the the parable of uh, Lazarus and the rich man, that um, the rich man wanted to come back and say, let me tell my brothers, let me tell my family. He's like, no, they have the Torah and they have the prophets. Like, if they don't believe that, then they're not even going to believe one who was raised from the dead. And it's like, okay, so that's the game plan. That's the focus. So if you can't understand the Tanakh, then that's where we got to work from. So. In the commentary on Yeshayahu, it says, to introduce chapter 61, that Yeshayahu could turn this chapter, turn to the, or saying that Israel could turn to this chapter and find spiritual fortification to maintain their faith and resist the urge to assimilate into their powerful host countries. In other words, while we're in exile, if you read this chapter, this will keep you from succumbing to the assimilation into that exile. So, yeah, becoming a Roman, basically. So don't become a Roman. Read Isaiah 61, fortify yourself and hold to the mission. It goes on to say that Yeshayahu emphasized that the words were not his own. His message of hope came directly from Hashem. That was from Radak. Well, remember, when Mashiach spoke, he said, these are not my words. Uh, if people come to you speaking their own words and speaking in their own name, you're ready to accept those people. But me, I'm not even speaking in my own words, and you don't even want to accept me. So, Mashiach is going to follow in the pattern of Yeshayahu, who says, well, I got to tell you about chapter 61. But uh, I just need to let y'all know, I'm not saying this. This is directly from Hashem, so I'm just repeating it. And Yeshua, same thing. I'm just going to let you know the first half is going to go down. The rest of this is uh, to be continued. Hence, here we are in the final exile, and it's just kind of like, okay, so we're reading chapter 61. We're waiting on Mashiach ben David, and here it is. So, with that being said, where do we pick up? Let's pick up with Tehillim 126 that says those who tearfully sow will reap with song of joy. That's actually in verse three where it says that you're going to get a cloak of praise instead of a dim spirit. The whole beauty for ashes, that whole thing, right? So oil of joy instead of mourning and you're going to get splendor instead of ashes which, by the way, is the word for head covering. So, breaking this down real quick, why would you have to replace your ashes? Because it says that ashes were, this is commentary from Radak, it's customary for a mourner to place ashes upon his head. Sages of Ta'anit 16a infer from our verse that when the court decrees a day of fasting and prayer, such as during a drought, the congregation puts ashes 
on the part of the head where the tefillin are placed. The sages refer to tefillin as splendor. So take off the ash and put your tefillin back on. In other words, drought's over, fasting is over, mourning is over. And the Telling 126 here, and again, this is all with the final redemption. So Hashem is going to replace all this mourning and all of that. It says that Yeshayahu uses the metaphor of a garment to describe the dawning of the spirit, like putting on the spirit as clothes. And it says that their spirit will be clothed with praise. That's from the Radak. And then it gets into verse four. And we're we're coming up on uh That's coming up. Uh that's gonna be where is that? Big day Yesha. Sosa sees Badonai Tagel Nafshi Belokai Kihubishani Big Dayesha Milstakai Yatani. Yeah, there it is. Brugasham. Verse 10. Yeah, verse 10. We're going to get into that. So, up until then, there's this buildup. Gets into verse 5 and 6, which is where. My I kind of went blue screen and this is where I wanted to pick up about, you know, what's coming up because in COVID-19 and for a lot of us who are out of work and business getting shut down and stuff like that. Well, we have this opportunity to uh, make the jump, if you will, because check this out. It says foreigners will stand and tend to your flocks. They will do so of their own accord, says Radak. And it says the ideal role of the nations, i.e. the non-Jews, commonly called the Goyim, which is the word for pagans, is to enable Israel to cleave to spiritual endeavors. Maharal and direct Chaim. The crazy part about this is this is the same word Mashiach was using for those who worry about what they're going to eat or what they're going to wear. He says the nations worry about that. You, you don't worry about that. You seek first the kingdom and its righteousness, right? So it says Israel's has Israel has its roots in the transcendent spiritual arena by facilitating soaring heights attained by the nation of Israel. The nations too associate themselves with the intense bond of the creator and humanity. So I said, say what to this comment, Barakot 35B, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai quotes that the concept of others providing for Israel's material needs is not limited to the messianic era described in this verse rather whenever Israel fulfills the will of God i.e. the kingdom and its righteousness to the fullest degree its needs will be cared for but it ain't over yet Nefesh Hachaim 1.8. Did not I, Dr. Sakala and I just talk about this? Nefesh Hachaim drop. What'd he say? Yep. Nefesh Hachaim. Because it says we build and destroy worlds with our thoughts, words, and actions. So Nefesh Hachaim over here says 
that in our current state, the majority of Jews are unable to maintain the lofty level necessary for such divine assistance. So with that being true, it says, however, the extraordinary few that do so will experience the promise of the verse. So remember this whole thing about the final end gathering where the wheat and the tares are supposed to grow together and then Mashiach is going to return with his angels and we're going to get separated out. You know, the sheep are going to go to the right, goat are going to go to the left. Well, guess what this time is right now? It's time for us to be growing. We're celebrating the gathering in of the Omer and heading up on the festival of first fruits and then ultimately culminating in the final end gathering, which is Sukkot, the end gathering of the harvest. So what are we doing right now? Are we growing as wheat or are we growing as tares? Because those things are going to be separated out. And it's like, where do you want to be? Do you want to be a part of the nations or do you want to be a part of Israel? So I don't know about you, but I choose to be a part of Israel. So as Rambam, he'll coach Shemitah Yovel 1312 writes, not only the tribe of Levi, but every person whose spirit has motivated him to separate himself and stand before Hashem and cast off the yoke of human calculations, thereby has sanctified himself in the holiest manner. Hashem will provide him his necessities in this world, just as he has provided it for the Kohanim and the Levites. Again, Matthew 6, this is all right here. And it says, and you will be called priests of Hashem. Ministers of God will be said of you. Just as the Kohanim were supported by the nation, giving them the freedom to devote their time to serve in the temple, you will be provided for sufficiently to enable you to devote yourselves to Torah study and to gain knowledge of Hashem. And again, if you go back to chapter 11, that when we expand this knowledge of Hashem across the globe, that's what takes away all the disease, the war, the fighting, the corruption. The world increases in the knowledge of Hashem. And so we have to have people who are gaining in the knowledge of Hashem and pushing that information out, sharing that information. The more we do that, the more we initiate that era. And so what the nations end up doing as they support Israel, that they are actually feeding into bringing redemption into the world. So by materialism and finances and all sorts of other resources that they're providing to us to study and to serve and to bring down heaven on earth, like they're participating in that. And so that's kind of the role of the nations is to do that. That's why. The whole thing about bringing gifts and that we're going to read where it says that. Uh, where does it say here? It says, for I am Hashem, this is verse eight. I'm Hashem who loves justice, hates burnt offering brought with robbery. I will repay their deeds and truth and I will seal an eternal covenant with them. Their offspring will be known among the nations and their descendants amid the peoples who will who peoples all who see them will recognize them that they are their seed that Hashem has blessed I will rejoice intensely with Hashem my soul will exult for he has dressed me in the raiment of salvation robe of righteousness he has cloaked me like a bridegroom who exalts himself with splendor like a bride who bedecks herself with jewelry 
For as the earth sends forth its growth, as a garden sprouts forth its seedlings, for so will my Adonai Elohim cause righteousness and praise to sprout in the presence of all the nations. So this idea of the nations bringing gifts and watching over our flocks and doing that, which is actually verse 5. Foreigners will stand and tend to your flocks and the sons of the stranger will be your plowmen and your vineyard workers. Like that whole thing there, like the nations are are feeding into this. So it goes on to say from the Malbim, the relationship between Israel and the Kohanim, whereby the people support the Kohanim, will in the future be that of the nations to Yisrael. And it says that when Hashem offered us the Torah in Shemot 19.6, we forfeited this privilege because of our sins. And it says this verse is foretelling in verse 6 here that I just read about being called priests of Hashem, ministers of God will be said of you. That verse, it says this actually speaks of a time where we will merit the fulfillment of that promise. So that what we forfeited before will actually merit in time to come and even now should we choose to as it says the extraordinary few that will do so i.e cast off the yoke of human calculations and sanctify ourselves in the holiest manner and then it goes on to say that this word for koane hashem which is priest of hashem According to Rashi, he says, well, alternatively, you can translate this not as Kohanim, but as aristocrats of Hashem, referring to general nobility. Again, royal priesthood, holy nation. And it says, you will eat the wealth of the nations. Besides coming to your land to do your work, the nations will bring you lavish gifts. The nations will feel honored that Israel accepts their gifts like someone who feels privileged when a king accepts his gift. That's from the Mayim Loas. Ibn Ezra likens these gifts to the tithes that are given by Jews to the Kohanim. Jump down a little bit, says Eretz Israel will yield so much prosperity that there will be no need to engage in commerce with foreign countries. And then it says Israel will be the cause of so much happiness for humanity at large. Because eternal gladness refers to the joy of the entire world. So the eternal gladness that Hashem is going to bestow upon us. This is going to be an everlasting thing. And this is actually going to cause joy to the world. Again, but we have to be devoted in our service to Hashem. And and then I wanted to bring down verse 9 that talks about our offspring will be known among the nations and their descendants among the peoples. It says Jews will be unique in spurning the urges of their Yetzirah. Even their descendants, their young, will be in control of their inclinations. It's from the Mayam Loez. Says our faces will shine like that of the primordial man. That's from the Midrash Tankuma, Bereshit 6. Going on down to verse 10, 
and saying that Hashem, my personal God, he's the one who providentially oversees me. Hashem knows what you need even before you ask kind of thing. Seek first in the kingdom and its righteousness and he will add all things to you. Remember that. Okay, then it goes on to say the way that we're going to be adorned like a bridegroom, like the bride and all that. It says a bridegroom wears lavish clothing, just like the Kohen who bedecks himself in ornate vestments and a bride adorns herself with jewelry. That's from Rashi. And it says, so God is going to adorn us like that with salvation and righteousness. And then the last little footnote that I underlined was about the the bursting forth of what's going to come out of the growth and be like gardens and sprouts and seedlings and all that. It says that God planted Israel in bitter exile only, only for it to emerge as a nation that is greater and more manifold than it ever was. And I said, yeah, like in Pesachim 87b, Bereshit 12.3, the whole thing about the nations of the earth will bless themselves by you. Literally means the nations of the earth will be engrafted in by you. So we're supposed to make this kingdom of Kohanim, these royal priests, out of the exile. So we're supposed to sprout up like out of exile. Just like it says, when a seed is planted, it rots. Only then does a beautiful plant emerge, fresher and bigger than the seed. That's what this exile is meant to do. It's meant to bring about the harvest and the sprouting forth of redemption. Literally, we're supposed to sprout forth salvation in the world. And we do that by gathering in the proselytes. And that connects to this Torah portion because the word Tazria literally means to sow. So what are we sowing? I pray that we're sowing uh, redemption. And one of the things that I want to just go back over to from my notes is I want to get down to some Tazria drops. So let me skip down here. That when we sow, so this is from Sanhedrin 99b. Again, speaking about sowing with our mouth. Because Parashah Medzora teaches us about the results of what has transpired depending on what we've done with our mouth if we've used it for evil speech and if we've been very haughty we get zarat and we get exiled and quarantine so what about if we did the opposite right says rabbi elazer says every man was created for labor as it is stated man is born for toil job 5 7 based on this verse i do not know whether he was created for toil of the mouth speech or whether he was created for the toil of labor now again i was bringing up about the the relationship of the the nations to the jewish people right there are people who are going to labor like and have actual toil and be concerned with materiality and things like that but then there are going to be people who toil and labor in words and you know, that's the big distinguishing thing. So are you going to toil with your mouth or are you going to toil with your hands? And it says when the verse states for his mouth presses upon him from Proverbs sixteen twenty six, you must say that he was created 
for toil of the mouth. And still I do not know with regard to the toil of the mouth or whether it is with toil of the Torah or for the toil of conversation. When the verse states, the Torah scroll shall not depart from your mouth, Joshua 1.8, you must say that he was created for the toil of Torah. And that is the meaning of what Rava said. All bodies are like receptacles to store items until use. Happy is the one who is privileged, who is a receptacle for Torah. Sanhedrin 99b. When man was first brought forth and created and we had comprehensible knowledge and comprehension of all sorts of things, the expanse of the universe and everything involved with that, that Hashem said, all right, I'm going to put you in the garden, which is bigger than the world, by the way. Yet the garden was on earth. So to think about that for a second, you know, the closest thing we have to that is the ark was bigger than the Holy of Holies, yet it fit in the Holy of Holies. So the garden of Eden was bigger than the earth, but yet it fits on earth. And then Adam was bigger than the earth, but yet he fit in the garden, which was bigger than the earth. So if you work that stair step out for a second, we were put in the garden to tend to it. And Pirkei de Rebbe Eliezer brings down where the garden was self-watered from Eden. So now you got a place called Eden that had overflow from it that came into this garden. So how big is Eden now? You know, like Eden has to be bigger than Ghani Din. So we would think. But not that I'm trying to get into that. The point is, is that the garden was already taken care of. So what does it mean to take care of the garden? Well, it meant to toil in the Torah, just like it says in Sanhedrin 99b. So in other words, the exit plan and the exit strategy for getting out of exile and for bringing forth this fruitful vine and bounty like we're supposed to from Isaiah 61 is that we're supposed to be flooding the world with Torah, the knowledge of Hashem, and bringing forth that kingdom of Kohanim. So, the conversation gets very interesting at that point, because it's like, well, do you want to be Jewish or, you, or do you not? Because that's not really the question. The question is, how do you want to toil? And how are you toiling? You know, because everybody got to go to work. Even if you don't have to go to work, you still got to go to work. So what are you going to do? Are you going to toil in materiality or spirituality that manifests and overflows into materiality and brings about spirituality from materiality? Which ties back to what uh, Rabbi Friedman Shlita was talking about, where he says that everything that we need is already in creation. Everything is concealed because we ate the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So now trees don't bear fruit like they used to. Every single tree in the world, every single piece of that tree is supposed to be edible. Every single thing we need for energy is already in the world. There's no need for us to be paying electric bills and utilities because it's all supposed to be provided within creation, which is why we didn't need anything in the garden. Now we have to toil and figure it all out. So if we're talking about going back to the garden, if we're talking about bringing forth the redemption and bringing forth bounty and fruit, well, 
that comes through Torah. That comes through renewing the world. We're waiting on Mashiach to do that. But yet our part in that is to begin the process. We ourselves need to become fruitful people. Fruitful with our speech. Fruitful with our hands. You know, being givers. As the Midrash Rabbah actually brought down from Parashah Medzora, which I thought was really cool. Talking about how we need to be givers, unlike the Medzora who was a taker. The primary way for us to be givers is with our words. So, next thing I brought down here was Babylonian Talmud Arakin 15b. Says that the rabbis of classical Judaism, this is um, cited by G. Shekel, by the way. Shouts out to G. Shekel, uh, Shlita. It says, in, uh, what is that word? That's interesting. I think this is a typo. But, in inveighing against it, often resorted to hyperbolic language, i.e. and saying that slander, tail-bearing, and evil talk were worse than the three cardinal sins. Oh, conveying. So the rabbis in conveying against it often resorted to hyperbur- hy- hyperbolic language, saying that slander, tail-bearing, and evil talk were worse than the three cardinal sins of murder, immorality, and idolatry. Do you hear that? Worse than killing somebody? Worse than doing immoral things and worse than serving other gods is slander, tail-bearing, and evil talk. Being a Medzora. Okay. Anyway, by the way, that's how the second temple got destroyed and this final exile got kicked off. Because of what's called the Shan Hara, which are those things, slander, tail-bearing, evil speech. We made ourselves lepers. But the cool thing about being lepers, that which wounded us is that which heals us. Because remember, the Kohanim, the priest, the way for them to get installed into their priestly role was to become a leper. They had to be quarantined. They had to be shaved. They had to be sprinkled with blood. They had to bring sacrifices. Yeah. So that's what this exile is meant to be. It's meant to be an installation process. And here we are in the quarantine part of that installation process. So it's like, are you going to be a priest? Or are you going to continue to be a leper? And again, leper is the loose term for Medzora, which is the one who has Za'arat, which is a spiritual affliction. But anyway, it says, of one who indulges in Lashon Harad, they say that he denies the existence of God and that the Almighty declares I and he cannot live in the same world. Arakim 15b. So he cited uh, ya- G. Shekel, that is, he cited Yaakov 3, 10 through 11, that says, For the same mouth, or from the same mouth, come both blessing and cursing, my brethren. These things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send out the same opening, both, or send out from the same opening both fresh water and bitter water? So again, Yaakov 3, 10 through 11. Matches up with Arakim 15b. Then going down it says, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai said, Of everything 
is the Holy One. Blessed be He, forgiving. He'll forgive you for anything, except for what? Lashon Hara. Zohar Hakadosh Parashat Shalak. 161. Now I realize I'm supposed to be quoting stuff from Parashat Tazria, but it's matching up with Parashat Mazora. But again, our words are actually the act of Tazria, which means to scatter and sow seed. So our words are actually doing the the verb of Tazria. Which is so interesting that it was fitting uh, with putting together the Torah portions by Ezra and Nehemiah, among other sages, that it was like, yeah, you know, we'll put Tazria and Madzora together. Those th That can be a double Torah portion. It's like, what does a woman giving birth to a child have to do with a person who is afflicted with Zaharat and all the spiritual impurities that exist within mankind? It's like, well, if you read them and study them, you'll see. So the next part I want to share here is from the Egeret Hagra, which is the letter of the Gra. He brings down that Hashem feeds all creatures from the greatest to the smallest and provides for all their needs. And on Shabbat and Yom Tov, do not speak at all. And on Shabbat and Yom Tov, do not speak at all about things that are not urgent and be brief even with what is important. For Shabbat is a very holy, is very holy, and our sages barely permitted the exchange of greetings on it. Yerushalayim Shabbat and Tosafot Shabbat 113. See how strict they were concerning even a single expression Continue to give honor to the Shabbat as when I was there. Do not cut back on your Shabbat expenses since man's entire sustenance for the year is fixed for him from Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur, except for the expenditure for Shabbat and festivals, etc. Beitza 16a from Talmud. So, how are we speaking on the Shabbat, first of all, and then look at this whole thing about provisions that anything you spend on Shabbat and Yom Tov, that's extra, um, what do they call that? Hashem is going to pay you back for all that kind of stuff. So those are extra expenditures that are not a part of your your fixed budget for the year. So Hashem determines how much money you're going to make every Rosh Hashanah, right? Except for what you're going to spend on Shabbat and festivals. So when you spend that, that's extra stuff Hashem is going to reimburse you for. So if you use your words to glorify the Shabbat and you use your materialism to glorify the Shabbat, that all comes back and brings an overflow of blessing. Which is kind of crazy to think about. Because you feel like I'm struggling now and then you're wanting me to give. And it's like, yeah, the whole point of giving is life. Like if you're going to give, you're going to receive. But if you're going to take, then you're actually cutting down on your reception. Could you imagine it would be like the more you talked on your phone and the more you used your phone, the less signal you would get, 
the less ability to charge your phone that you would receive. That is an example of what it would mean to be people of evil speech and be people who don't give and to be people who uh, desecrate the Shabbat with our words and with withholding expenditures for Shabbat. That's kind of heavy. But Hashem wants us to know that, hey, you honor me, I honor you. The Shabbat is is my day. It's also my name because Hashem, one of Hashem's names is Shabbat, by the way. So if you think about how you're speaking in the name of Hashem, literally is how you're speaking in Shabbat. And giving to Hashem, like, what are you spending money on for the sake of the Shabbat? So you're bringing gifts to the king and you're speaking in the king's name. And it's like, obviously we want to do good with that. So again, that's the letter of the Gra. So that was ridiculous, uh, intense stuff. And over here, we got some random, I'm just doing random drops from my notes here. Masekit Megillah 18a. The Gemara raises a question, but from where do we know that this remembrance that is stated with regard to Amalek and the Megillah involves reading it out loud? So, you know, we're supposed to remember to blot out the name of Amalek, Amalek, and we're all supposed to read the Megillah. And Megillah 18a in the Talmud is saying these are two mitzvot that we're supposed to do with our mouth. Namely, reading them out loud. So it says, perhaps it requires merely looking into the book and reading it silently. Well, the Gemara answers, it should not enter your mind to say this, as it was taught in the Bereta, the verse states, remember what Amalek did to you, Devarim 25.17. One might have thought it suffices for one to remember it silently in his heart. But this cannot be since it says subsequently, you shall not forget. Devarring 25.19 It is already referring to forgetting from the heart. So how then do I uphold the meaning of remember? What does the command to remember add to the command not to forget? Therefore it means that the remembrance must be expressed out loud with the mouth. So vocalizing things actually help us remember them if you think about your life go back in your your memory bank remember things that were said to you as a child not remember things that were thought about you or wrote to you as a child but things that you heard spoken out loud you can easily remember those things well this is the power of our speech as it evokes remembrance and when we're doing these mitzvot with our mouth, that what we're doing is we're keeping them fresh in our memory and our understanding. So I was looking this up because there's a whole drop about when we study Torah, that we're actually supposed to study Torah out loud. And that cross-references with Eruvine 54a, with the whole point of if you really want to have a good way to remember your Torah that you've studied, 
the way to do that is to actually speak it out loud. So it goes on to say in Erevine 54a, that says, I just had it. Oh, here it is. It says the Gemara cites instructions issued by Shamuel that are similar to those of Beruiah. Shamuel said to Rav Yehuda, keen scholar, open your mouth and read from the Torah. Open your mouth and study the Talmud in order that your study should endure in you and that you should have a long life as it is stated for they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. Proverbs 4.22 Do not read to those who find them, but rather to those who express them with their mouth. So, there's that. That's Erevine 54a. And I was thinking about the word for word which in modern Hebrew, the way you say word is Mila, which is actually the Hebrew for circumcision. So the word and circumcise have the same meaning. So I took a picture of this source. And this is from Jewish wisdom and the numbers for the number eight. And it says like Mila circumcision, Torah is itself termed a breed, referring to the otherworldly covenant as forged between God and Israel. Torah is the exclusive possession of the Jewish people. It is only those circumcised on the eighth day who can relate to the supernal Torah of eight. And it says to shape their lives. It is the Torah in turn, which permits the Jew to transcend the limitations of the natural world. So, you know, our hearts are supposed to be circumcised, right? So out of the flow of our heart, the mouth speaks. So if you think about your heart being circumcised, well, what would bring forth words, which again is the same word for circumcised because we're talking about Mila. Circumcised heart, circumcised mouth, that's all Torah. So literally you're circumcising yourself every time you're speaking words of Torah. Which means that you're taking yourself out of the natural and into the supernatural. You're forging a covenant between yourself and Hashem. This is the importance of being a spring of living water. Yeshua says, out of your bellies, rivers of living water will flow. Rabbi GQ Shlita, which is uh, Rabbi Greenbaum of our current uh, modern commentators on Torah over in Eretz Israel. So may he have long, good life. Amen. Says, on commentary to Tazria Medzora, the miraculous entry, i.e. the supernatural entry of the mature embryo into this world in the form of a living baby. You know, conception is a miracle and many people don't think it is, but I went over this before, so I'm not going to belabor that point. <laughs> belabor that point. Anyway, pun intended. 
says the mature embryo into this world in the form of a living baby, embarking on a whole destiny of its own. Literally, you're creating a world within a world and sending them out into the world. Like, if you just think about the craziness of that, it's mind-boggling. But it says, it's accompanied with much physical pain and blood for the mother. By God's decree, the baby, if a boy, must be circumcised with pain and blood on the eighth day, initiating him into the covenant of Abraham, peeling off the unclean material, orla, which is the foreskin, bound up with nature, which was created in seven days, gives him access to the eighth level, which is Bina. So the eight has to do with Bina, which, by the way, is understanding, and there are 50 gates of them, but it starts with eight. And it says, this is the level that is beyond nature, as we discussed in last week's Parashah Shemini. A girl has access to that level in virtue of being female, and especially through motherhood, with its pains and joys. Together with the boy's circumcision, motherhood is the focus of our present parsha, Tatsriya. So I was reading in the Orgada, uh, well, the Haggadah companion from Or Hadash uh, about paradigm, process, and what does he say? Process, ah, process, paradox, and paradigm. There's a whole thing that uh, Rabbi Tonka Truck, Shlita, Rabbi Trugman, he brings down about insights on the Torah that the Torah is actually considered pregnant. So the Torah is all about birth and the Torah is all about giving life. And if you really think about that, the Torah is like our mother. So therefore, when we enter into Torah, we speak Torah, we get circumcised, we're born of Torah and all that kind of stuff. That, that's our Jewish mother, all that kind of stuff. The Ruach HaKodesh, Torah, Yeshua, like all that is we get birth out of that. So Parsha Tadzria is basically saying, so when the Torah sows a man and that man undergoes the Milah and starts to ascend in the 50 gates of Bina like the 50 gates of understanding and begin to build the world and make the world new and bring about redemption. So yeah, the woman who gives birth, that's really saying the Torah when it brings forth the converts. And so the words that we speak are literally, if we're speaking the words of Torah, we're speaking forth pregnancy into creation. So therefore, what are they going to give birth to? What are our words going to give birth to? That's just absolutely, I don't even know what's happening right now. But again, that's why the, the Gant Parsha Metzor is attached to Tadzria most times and most years, if it's not a leap year, because we have to understand that, okay, so you're going to give birth. Are you going to give birth to a Metzora? Are you going to give birth to, you know, someone who is going to give birth to, who's going to give birth to, i.e. fruitful and multiply, bring life bring uh, healing into the world and all that kind of stuff. Benny B on Tadzria. The consequences of Hava sin have reverberated throughout history. Physically speaking, women have dealt with their monthly cycles, the associated cramping, headaches, hormone fluctuations, extended gestation period of 40 weeks, 
the pain of childbirth, Erevine 100b. If Hava had not sinned, all children would be born the day they were conceived. Birth would be painless. No blood loss would occur. Yet it happened. The Taurus primordial letters that preceded creation now had to rearrange themselves to apply to a fallen world. Also, Messiah text says the same thing that the Torah rearranged itself to apply to a fallen world because before we ate from the tree, the tree of knowledge, good and evil, there was no death in the world. There was no pain in childbirth. There was no human impurities. So one of the things that we do when we speak forth the Torah is we reverse that process. And that's the whole reason why Yeshua sent us out to make proselytes. Because we're literally to go out and bring forth those new creations that will actually be, you know, had we not sinned, the birth would be painless, no blood loss. And, um, you know, the children that were conceived would literally be born that day and begin to walk and grow and mature and all that kind of stuff. So anyway, such is the power of our words to make new creations over people. And so we got to speak this out. And then it says, what else here? Da, 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 da. Just any kind of little drops that I want to go. But I, I mean, I really just have been stuck on the words and the birth and the the medzora, you know, and the healing that can come from that, you know, because all of us technically are considered to be, you know, medzorim, medzoras. We're all in quarantine right now. So, I mean, proof is literally in the pudding before us. So it's like, what are we going to do with that quarantine? Which the way that the lepers were healed, apart from the word of Yeshua, was through repentance, was through becoming new creations, i.e. converting and circumcising themselves with the words of Torah, speaking Torah out loud so that when the co the Kohen came back to look at us after that exile period, he could tell whether or not we were ready to be reinstalled re back into the community. Side note, just because you were reinstalled back into the community didn't mean you get to go home yet. You still had another seven days before you got to go back to your own house because becoming such a leprous person, a, a person afflicted with Zaharat, because of that affliction, you actually ostracize yourself from your own home off the off the gate or off the bat for 14 days as opposed to seven seven days you're going to be outside a community quarantine by yourself should you make the necessary repairs when you come back you still don't get to go home but you're back in community then after that seven days if you're still doing well then you get to go back home because that's how much damage you caused and so it's like this double exile that happens and layer by layer, you have to peel it back, which is why the whole process of Yeshua coming the first time, beginning the redemption process and being like, all right, so continue to peel back layers and I'll be right back, you know, and this is the example of him staying with us for the first 40 days of the Omer, you know, and then he ascended was like, you take it, take it from here. So that's that's the goal that's the mission that we have to sow you know our words of healing and repair and uh life and life evermore so speak forth your tour studies 
let us all become, you know, springs of living water from our mouths. May Hashem send Mashiach now. Baruch haba b'shem Adonai. Ki lishuateka kiviti Hashem. May it be so soon in our days that we're brought out of this exile. 